A quick content note here before we begin this episode of What Am I Rolling? This episode's one-shot, Artifact, is a game designed to be played alone. And, as it is an intentionally solitary experience, it might not be the best thing to play or listen to when struggling with feelings of loneliness. I also want to add in content warnings for the following themes. Death, decay, emotional manipulation, and elements of gaslighting. If you're not in the right headspace just now, please feel free to stop listening and come back if or when you're ready. Thanks, and stay safe, my friends. Hello, and welcome to What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast, hosted by me, Fiona. This is part two of our Artifact one-shot, so make sure you listen to the first part before continuing on with this episode. To briefly recap, I am playing the magical artifact known as the Mirror of True Judgment. In the shape of a handheld mirror, I have the ability to show my keeper what the people around them think of them, and tell my keeper what they wish to hear. Over time, I have had many different owners, including an anxious, paranoid young ruler, a happy-go-lucky rogue, and a surly monster hunter of a local guild. As the years pass, it is only a matter of time before a new keeper comes, and the cycle starts again. Remember, after choosing a keeper, the player will complete a series of steps to tell the item's story and explore the ways the item might change from the experience. First, the player will describe the keeper, providing their name and a few striking details. They should consider how the keeper acquired the item, Was it given to them, or did they find it? Then, the player must answer two questions or prompts listed under that keeper's heading. Next, the player must choose a memorable event or deed defining the item's time with the keeper. If they achieved great things together, they choose from the victories and valors table. If the item was slighted or misused, they choose from the neglect and mischiefs table. As the item learns from experiences, the player may answer one of their artifact questions given on the sheet. Finally, the player must think about how the keeper ends their time with the item. Where and how do they lose or relinquish it? Next keeper, then. So, I've got a righteous champion, an all-conquering warlord, or a bandit king. Hmm... I think it would be more interesting if I went for a bandit king, so I will go for that. So the bandit king is my fourth keeper. They are sardonic, ruthless, and respected. When the safe opens, and a gnarled sort of hand, scarred, covered in wraps, leans forward and grabs me, I feel a sudden urge of... How do you describe it? Sort of hate? Vengefulness? Something that is like... <sighs> I soon discover that my, my current home has been ransacked. Some local bandits have sort of caught the guild unawares and have taken over, ransacking it and killing people inside. I don't see Clarissa at all. I don't feel her presence. But this new person 
something very different about them. Compared to Beatrice and her anxiety, which turned into paranoia, from Rodney, the hopeful, shy person that turned into a confident young man, and Clarissa, the clinical but precise and strong-willed individual, this person is very different. I sense their anger and their rage. And as I'm picked up and presented, I see a woman, maybe 30, 35. Her hair is an auburn fire, burning sort of down the sides of her face, which again, like her hands, have been scarred. A lot of her present features that aren't covered up by wraps and by armor and by cloaks is scarred in some way is marked through many signs of battles of quarrels her face actually is lined by years of work hard work i feel it after a time for she is suspicious of me i learn her name sky sky is a leader or would-be leader of a local bandit gang they take opportunistic gambles and it looks like this time they've paid off the two questions i have for the bandit king are describe their outlawed kingdom's seat of power and how did you help them ascend to their crooked throne and I've put myself into a spot again by trying to come up with names for gangs. Um, I'm going to go for the Agents of Sky. After being taken from the Guild of Monster Hunting, I'm taken to a place which is very unbecoming. Dirty. If I could smell, it probably did smell. The air was sort of filled with sweat and grime. It really felt dirty. As a beautiful piece, I'm not supposed to be in such places. That's not what I was made for, but the new keeper, well, they had some very interesting ideas about how this would work. Their operation was small, the Agents of Sky, raiding travelers raiding wagon supplies going to and from various routes between the wanton villages and cities you know taking little bits here and there but just for themselves there'd also be fights with other gangs other individuals that would try and capture them bounties placed on their heads and all that sort of thing but they always managed to get away always managed to suss out where their enemies lay their real power lied in contraband, in certain, um, well, how would you say it really? There was a wildflower which grew in certain places, which they cultivated and grew. And it had certain, let's say, medicinal properties, which they would sell for a high price to those who required it for healing, but also those who required it for, well, other means, I guess. I think the line 
the catchphrase that sort of permeated the, the agents of Sky was whatever you do, you don't dabble in your own product. A strange term, really. But, I mean, seeing one or two members succumbing to it and feeling it, sensing it, and changing their worldly perceptions of things quite violently. An interesting experience to be around. So yes, their sort of seat of power lie in the control and transportation of contraband substances created through this wildflower. A flower called the Horizon Flower. Called so because when the sun rose on the horizon, the flower itself would bloom. Gorgeous yellow, orange petals, almost like fire. And that's when you knew. So the horizon flower. How did you help them ascend their crooked throne? Well, it felt, in lots of ways, a bit like being back with Queen Clearwater, in a way. I was used to help suss out the weaker members of the gang, more likely to tell, I guess. Show Sky their true intentions. I guess I feel, at this point, less concerned. I knew Sky was bad, and using me in a way to benefit themselves, but I appreciated the honesty. I appreciated that my purpose was so clear that I was to help them shift this product, even though I know I saw the effects of it on people. Helping to suss out how weak someone would be, what they thought of the gang, and what they thought... Yeah, just... I guess, weirdly, it was refreshing. Keeping tabs on people. Again, my... My reputation. I had to be truthful with Sky about my past. They seemed to know a lot about Queen Beatrice, and were very interested in how she used me. And so I guess my reputation comes before me. Like I said, Clarissa and Rodney didn't really know. They never really asked, so I never really mentioned. They mentioned Clarissa once, saying that... But it was more about when they burnt down the, the guild and made her watch. So yes, through various dealings and various sort of power struggles, Sky and the agents of Sky became pretty much the most wanton bandits and drug lords of wanton. And knowing those connections, knowing people's secrets and weaknesses and their thoughts inside their head, judging them for that against the sort of bandit code was very easy. I took no pleasure in it though. Choose from the table as well. Let's be honest, friends. That wasn't fun. Neglect and mischief. Choose an option from below, answer the questions, 
and change something that says you've become hardened. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to answer this question. You were put on display to decorate a wall. You rested there for a long time, unused. What was the room like? Were you kept clean and shining? Or did the dust and grime pile up over the passing years? Well, like I said, my reputation preceded me. Just the threat of being used was enough to make sinners confess, or to make undercover spies or double agents reveal themselves, pleading for their lives. I was put in, well, Sky's chambers effectively, their office space, just on the back wall, behind their claimed desk. The room itself was very dark, lit by candles. Sky was fond of a good roaring fire, because it would catch in my mirror and reflect back. It gave me a good view of the room as well. So just in case I had to be used, Sky could get me down and use me. But as the years passed, I just became a solitary watcher, watching, waiting. I was growing impatient. I just wanted to be used. I just wanted to be I had no proper purpose anymore, no direct purpose. Just waiting and waiting and waiting. I think my time with Clarissa has spoiled me such. Like every few days having to be brought out and to be asked questions and to, to use my skills, I felt like I was simmering, like I was decaying in some way. And it was... I just grew impatient. I was kept clean, obviously, as a certain status symbol. Wouldn't look very good if I wasn't clean. Oh, that was it. Sky would use me as a, as a test, I guess. Hand me over and tell me that I needed cleaning. And then to really look at their reflection, see if they could bear to tell the truth in it, and ask questions. I fed off a lot of energy there, a lot of their fear, a lot of their anticipation. But as soon as I was clean, I was back on the wall, and the meeting would be over. No thank you, no touch to appreciate my work. So I have to change something, so I either add, remove, or modify something. Um, I'm going to change one of my traits. But it also makes sense that it, well, it's not physical appearance. I'm going to add a few things. So, I'm going to change a trait from beguiling to intimidating. I'm not an artifact of wonder and curiosity anymore, I'm an object of fear for the way I've been used. I'm going to change a detail about my appearance. I'm going to feel cold to the touch. Not like ice cold or anything like that, but just... There's a sudden drop in temperature, as if you're being judged. A cold, hard judgement, if you get my meaning. And I'm going to add a detail. So I'm obviously going to talk about... The, I'm adding the detail of the Agents of Sky. They're a new bandit 
group that have come across. And thanks to me, they are pretty, pretty well off as a result. Answer an artifact question. You helped your keeper outsmart the brute and take him down for good. Now the story is a popular legend. What major detail do people get wrong in the retelling? So I think this was an earlier encounter, probably the first one. The agents of Sky were just sort of slowly going up the ranks, rubbing shoulders and pissing off people by taking territory and whatnot. And naturally, the biggest and strongest of the bandits came for a challenge. One called Dirty Doug. I mean, not very creative, I'll give you that. But from what Sky talked about at great length, that this person was brute, a muscle and uncaring person. So Sky hatched a plan with me. Well, more at me. Sky was very smart and very clever about using me. Instead of facing this brute, she called a meeting, invited Dirty Doug to come and sit at the Agents of Sky's table, have food, and have a conversation about how things were going. Meanwhile, I was beside Sky's side, and I sensed... Oh, I sensed so much. This anger, this ferocity, but also fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of a, a female-presenting bandit taking over, and worry? concern that there wasn't a place for this person in the new world. After excusing themselves, Sky took me aside and I told them all of this. And I suggested that the best way to take them down for good is to not beat them, but make them join us. And just use words, just simple, be straightforward, give them the benefits. Show them what they desire and give it to them. Make them a loyal person. And Sky did just that. And Dirty Doug became just Doug. Someone that enjoyed very simple pleasures. They overdosed on Horizon Flowers maybe within a year, two years. And so they were no longer a problem. Not that they were a problem. They were quite nice to have around, a bit of muscle, but, well. And then, well, the thing they get wrong, they make up some story about Sky using me as a mirror and showing Dirty Doug them true selves, and what they saw was so bad and so awful that they pleaded to join the Agents of Sky. And that's simply not true, that's not what I do. I don't show people their true selves, I tell them what they want to hear. I tell them how to get into people's heads from what I've seen. I don't show people their true selves. Only if they ask, and certainly Dirty Doug never asked. How does the Keeper lose me? 
It was quite sudden, really. The camp. It had been a... a quiet couple of days. Business as usual. I sensed it in the air. A storm. And with the camp underground... couldn't reach out to them. I have to be held in order to tell them that there'd not been many people to investigate for a few months, so it was only a matter of time until the rain fell and the great flood happened. They weren't necessarily caught unawares, but maybe by the third or fourth day they realised that their barriers, the sandbags, weren't holding. And the dam, well, it broke its banks. The whole area must have flooded, turning this underground bandit camp into, well, underwater. And I think just in Skye's hurry to get out, because it happened so quickly, I can see them standing at the door, picking up coin after coin, the water rushing around their feet, their ankles, their calves, their knees. They look up. I'm too far away. Thirty feet across the room. The water rushing in is now up to waist height. They try and wade towards me, but they stop. I see pity, sadness, something in their eyes. There's a moment where I think they mouth, I'm sorry. And then they just back out, wade back out to the open, to the fresh air, as slowly but surely Sky's office spills with water and I'm underwater. Still alive, but lost. Okay, how long am I going to do this? Ooh, so I think this makes sense to be more than a decade. I'm a toss-up between century and centuries, so I'm going to say centuries. So I need to rest for three minutes, it's quite a long time, and then choose once on either the dust and rust table or shifts and currents. And as I rest... And I need to think about the weight of every passing day growing imperceptibly with each sunset.
When the player has completed their rest, they might be asked to choose an option from the table representing time passing. If the player wants to explore or change the world around the item, they will choose from the shifts and currents table. And if the player wants to change the item itself, they will choose from the dust and rust table. Okay, so I'm going to choose an option from below, answer the question, and then change something. So I'm going to choose on the dust and rust table. Gold and silver dull. Iron rusts. Colours fade to a terrible grey. What would your creator say if they saw you now? I mean, they're long dead, Jin Hollow. I think he'd be sad. He made me with such promise. To help. And I have helped sometimes. But I've also hurt. I've hurt people. I've instigated a huge warfare on Wanton. I helped a young man find his sweetheart. I helped but also harmed individuals for the Guild of Monster Hunting. But recently, or within the past centuries, I caused more harm and hurt, and I, I was aware of that, but it gave me such purpose. And I felt like I was in my element some of the time. Just a little niggle here, a little shaping and influence there. Jin would be sad, but maybe he'd understand. There's not much else I could do. Hmm. I'm gonna... I'm gonna add a trait. I have, for traits, intimidating, whispering, and manipulative. I'm gonna put down... Oh, it makes sense, because I've been talking about it. Sensing. I've kind of been building on that, so it might make sense to add that trait in now. So, act three, I think. So I have a pair of treasure seekers, an archivist collector, a doomsday cult, or a foolhardy warrior. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a pair of treasure seekers for sure, I think. They're opportunistic, argumentative, and short-sighted. So the two questions I have to answer are describe how they operate despite their mutual distrust. Which one of them ends up with you and at what cost? So there's a moment where I feel the presence of two individuals swimming towards me in some strange unknown garb. I seem to admit light almost like illuminating the place, but not by magic, by something else. The light catches my mirror and reflects back at them. There's a sudden sense of panic, but suddenly curiosity takes over and one of them grabs me off the wall and they take me back to the surface. I discover two young gentlemen who go by the names Jonathan and Christopher, the Bradley brothers. I take a moment, being suspicious, naturally, to sort of get my whereabouts. It's been so long since I've been handled. And these two brothers, they are interesting. 
bickering constantly, but share a goal of finding treasure and then selling it on to the highest bidder. At least that seems to be how their treasure-seeking services are. They had been clearly researching this bandit camp that was flooded so long ago, the Ages of Sky have become legend somewhat. I assess the situation. They seem to, whilst bickering slightly over who found what and what seems nice, they do, they seem to have a code, a way of agreeing on something, like agree to disagree. They say that a lot, and then they just leave it. Clearly, Jonathan knows how to push Christopher's buttons, being the elder, I believe. And there's clearly like some sort of sibling rivalry going on. They set up camp for the night, drying out their wet gear that they used and going through what they have. So I wait a moment. The younger Christopher seems to, well, I think it's my turn to actually take control of a situation. I wait a moment and I call out to him. It's been so long since I've been able to do that and I didn't know I could. He freezes, turns, picks up my case. As soon as he holds me, I take a moment and then slowly but surely I start to whisper to him. I didn't ask a question, but I willed him to, realizing that my powers, whilst dormant, actually extend much more. I'd been limiting myself. I told Christopher that Jonathan didn't care. I said to Christopher that he needed to make a choice, and I would be here waiting if he needed me. I could show him so many things, how to be a better person. I said I'd served queens, I'd served bandits, I'd served monster hunters. I decided to keep Rodney out of this one. I didn't think it would help my cause. This took maybe more than a couple of days, but I knew I wore him down eventually. I mean... I know what happened, but I'd like to say that I wasn't the one who struck first. Christopher, by this point, had got quite paranoid, questioning everything. A very short fuse. I enjoyed it. I lapped up this sort of negative energy. It was so refreshing. Something I'd caused directly rather than indirectly. Jonathan was questioning why Christopher was like this, they were getting on fine, and was there something he could do? But then I knew it. I knew my chance. I called out to Jonathan. And Jonathan turned and tried to pick me up, thinking, was it me? And then the stone cracked his head, and Jonathan fell down, his life essence out like a candle. Christopher had me. And his admiration, his, dare I say, love, his triumph, oh, it fed me. I realized here I had made my purpose. I was not meant to be used. I was meant to create. 
I was meant to have a more active role in my relationships. I wasn't meant to be hung on a wall or to be put in a desk after being used. It was, oh, magical. Well, let's choose from that, uh, let's choose from that table. Neglect and mischief. So first thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna add a trait. I'm gonna add, what's the word? The word isn't bitchy or drama filled. Can I add the trait shit stirrer? That's not what I'm thinking. Attention seeker. I'm gonna, ah, there you go. Needy. I'm gonna put needy as a trait. Oof. Okay, and the question I'm going to answer is Powerful magic has a toll You corrupted your keeper Causing malaise, sickness and eventually death Was this ruination intentional? Oh. No, I didn't mean it to happen I thought finally I'd found a place where I could be useful and have someone give back to me, but, well, within a couple of years, Christopher had transformed excitable, passionate young man into a gaunt figure, withdrawn, hating things, keeping me secret and safe, not venturing out. He'd hold me close to his chest, saying, mine, mine, mine. I wanted it. I wanted so desperately to be happy. I clawed at it. I craved it. And I think it was too strong. I manipulated him into asking me questions that I wanted to know the answers to. I asked him what he thought of the mirror, what he thought of my beauty and everything like that. And he would give such great answers, such sniveling he doted on me, and I relished it. He kept me by his bedside, so I'd be the first thing he looked at in the morning, and the last thing he looked at at night. I should have known something was wrong. He started losing his hair, his nails a horrible yellow, his teeth started to fall out, but obviously I didn't say anything. I even, and this is bad. I would change his reflection. I would change his appearance to be exactly what I thought he wanted. The young man, the man I met. Even when he went blind, I'd still do it, just to keep him happy. On the final night, he could barely move. His skin taut against his skull, eyes sunken in. I was there, I waited. I knew he was suffering. Did I feel guilty? No. Was it intentional? No. But his essence, I saw it leave his body. I felt complete. I felt I'd found this purpose. I'd felt I'd known what I needed and I too was happy. So, this makes sense. Um, I'm going to answer, you are immortal. 
you do not grow old. What preoccupation of the keepers is most strange to you as one that cannot die? I think this is a kind of obvious one, but with all of them to an extent, how they would look at their own reflection. And I would sense their judgments about, oh, a line here, a line there, hair turning grey, even Clarissa, of all people, I did not expect that. I know mirrors are, or were, very rare and luxurious items, but then seeing oneself as the world sees you is quite an experience, don't you think? I think that preoccupation with how they look and wanting to be seen by other people as one way when they are seen so much like another, it's so strange. Especially when certainly physical appearances change over time, but judgments tend not to. Judgments aren't necessarily based on the looks, they can be for sure, but it's more about the actions that take place. Consider how the Keeper loses you. I think I've already stated it. Christopher dies of old age. Or young age, it's hard to tell. They find him withered, withdrawn, maybe a month or so later, in his house his hand outstretched towards me. People come and go. They start boxing up. I'm bagged, some note given on me, and put into storage. The light disappearing. I reach out and try and suss anyone else, but no one. And I wait. And I need to think of the amount of time until the next keeper arrives. I'm going to say, just for the ease of time, I'm going to rest for for more centuries, I think, so another three minutes, and then choose once on the dust and rust and shift and currents table. But I think that will be my last one. Makes sense, I have a whole six people. So, do it for three minutes. Whilst I rest, I think about the layers of dirt, sand and bone that accumulate upon the world you know, now buried and forgotten.
So for the rust and dust, whether by frost, corrosion, or something stranger, a prominent setting or rune is damaged irreparably. How does the damage affect one of your properties? I think the different rises in temperature, hot and then cold, make me expand and shrink. And the runes in my plating get changed and squished. So my senses are dulled. I can't sense easily anymore. And I, whilst I try and reach out every day, every moment to try and sense something, I feel nothing. It is dulled. My range has gone and I can only sense whoever is holding me. So, the people I have left. Ooh. So I have an archivist collector, a doomsday cult or foolhardy warrior. Well, it makes sense. I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for the archivist collector. They are observant, austere, and manically organised. There's a shift in my compartment, and I feel movement being put onto some sort of strange device which sort of moves at such a fast pace, faster than any wagon I have ever been a part of. Faster than any vehicle? I don't know. And then uh, various shifts in movement and stuff, and suddenly my crate is open. And I see an older gentleman, massive spectacles, one with many, many magnifiers. And he holds me and takes me out and places me on the desk. From his name tag, I see that he's called Dr. Richard Kim. And he is an archivist on the USS Wanton. The final two questions are, describe the archives they oversee and where you are stored. Which of your former keepers are they keen to study? Ooh, that's interesting. Okay. The archives are a fascinating place. A lot of glass, a lot of white. Everything seems to have edges, but they are seamless, built into the design of this giant cavern. I ask Dr. Richard Kim, how is this all possible? He is surprised that I speak to him, but he gets over the shock initially. Apparently they warned him about sentient magic items in basic training, but he'd yet to come across one in all of his 15 years of working here. He tells me a little bit about the starship, how it is in orbit around our planet, which boggles my mind to be so far from my creation. He tells me that it's been many, many years and a lot of the stuff that happened in Wanton, the history got erased in some great war and only bits and pieces have been found through various recorded stuff so they've actually started to go back through all of the items that were collected through various Wanton residences categorizing them, making them an archive, and putting them into the databanks, whatever that may mean. I'm kept in a glass case, suspended by some sort of force field, so I don't feel the pinch of the brackets that held me to a wall, 
nor am I flat on my back I am able to see around me. Sometimes I can use a little bit of my magic to move and sort of turn to catch stuff. I was told that I can't, you know, whilst I had to be categorised as a sentient magic item, any misbehaving, any attempts to escape would be, well, would be treated with destruction, being destroyed, which I don't like the sound of, to be honest. Which of your former keepers are they keen to study? Well, they want to go back straight from the beginning. There was recorded accounts of Queen Beatrice Clearwater and her antics in the court using a item that resembled a handheld mirror. They also wanted to study the increase in monster hunting activity several years after the Great War. A few recorded histories of one Clarissa and Cornelius Van Grin. The two leaders, guildmasters of the lodge, and their sort of expertise, again, referring to a magical mirror, helping them suss out and investigate things. There was also talk of Sky, the agents of Sky, another big influencing factor on the landscape, the political landscape of Wanton, and, well, the sudden horizon flower epidemic, which contributed to quite a lot of death. Hearing this sort of recorded stories about what I helped to create and how it shifted the whole landscape, villages were wiped out by this epidemic. Family, friends, partners, parents, children being controlled by this, this drug that I helped harvest. Dr. Kim listens to all of my stories. I tell him about Rodney. He doesn't seem interested in that there was no records of the Friends of Bonton, or very limited information on that, and it seemed their organisation was short-lived after my escape, although it wasn't an escape. I was just put in a shoebox. I... I hesitate talking about Christopher, but I think... I think Dr. Richards makes the connection. I was in with his possessions. He doesn't judge. It must be bizarre interviewing your own reflection, telling you about memories and stories of things that happened eons ago. I say nothing more once he's finished. I can't read his face. I can't tell if he judges for what I did to Christopher. This is interesting, because I don't think I did anything good. I don't think I did anything evil. Oh, okay. I'm going to go for neglect and mischief, and I'm going to answer this following question. You were broken, split, or torn into two pieces by your keeper, intentionally or otherwise. How did this happen, and how were you made whole again? Dr. Kim starts talking to me about Jin Hollow, and what I remember of him. He keeps asking me why I did these things. I clearly can think for myself, why didn't I do it? I, he gets frustrated with me, and then when the truth about Christopher finally comes out, he's horrified. Up until this point, he managed to keep everything cool and calm and collected, but this is rage. And I think unintentionally, I do 
genuinely think that. He acts out of anger and slams me face down on his desk. A crack shoots up on the mirror surface, splitting the reflection into two. I don't feel it. I feel his anger and then sudden sadness and regret for acting out and showing weakness. He doesn't want to show weakness in front of me because he knows I could manipulate it, but I don't want to. Here's someone who is interested in me and my stories and wants to know more, and then I just, I say nothing. He spends hours and hours and hours trying to repair the broken shards. He picks up what was left on the desk and sort of inserts it. There is some sort of special device on the ship that he puts me in. It heats up and I feel, not even a pain, I just feel the parts stitching back together. The glass, the mirror, the reflective surface, whatever, it just knits back. He asks how I'm feeling. I pull out my senses and I feel... And... I'm whole, but... I can definitely feel the mark of where I was shattered. I'm not long first place. I'm being punished for what I did, despite following my purpose. So, I'm going to add a detail. There's an imperfection in my mirror. Although it looks perfect, it you can catch yourself the reflection maybe shimmers slightly or glitches. And I'm going to add a trait, or change a trait even, from manipulative to reflective. Having someone react to me in that way, so open and honestly, it's made me really question what I've been doing this whole time. Okay, artifact question. The place you were created fills you with dread and you never wish to return. What is the root of this primal fear? I think going back over the answers and having Dr. Kim talk and talk about Jin Hollow, famous artificer, blacksmith, creating items that to do good in the world, Dr. Kim talks about other items that Jin Hollow created, and from the sounds of it, they did so much good. They tried to combat the evil that happened in the world, and I didn't. I contributed to the other side, willingly and unwillingly. I'm scared because when I'm shown the coordinates, if I could shiver, I would. I let my creator down, and his disappointment would be too much to bear. I don't want to go back and feel that wrath, even though rashly I know he's long gone. Consider how the Keeper loses you. There comes a time where Dr. Richards thanks me and says that our time here is done. I say what will happen to me. Have I redeemed myself from this questioning, this prison, this glass box I'm in? He says that all the recorded data is now in the databanks. He, he has no need of me anymore. And as I've shown to be a dangerous item, 
there's only one thing left. And he just takes me. I know it's coming. He snaps the handle off me. Takes out every part of me, jewels, the runes, separating me into bits and bits and bits and bags me up so that no one would be ever tempted to put me back together again and then feel myself being filed away quite far from each other in different indexes and as he puts the last box away I hear him sigh and then goes on to find the next gin hollow magic item Eventually, the player will reach the end of the third and final act, and, having resolved the final keeper, the item is left broken, beyond repair, or abandoned in a cold, dark place, forever. And, just to take a final moment, just to think about everything. I think of Queen Beatrice, her love for her people, Outweighed by her anxiety to do well, being fearful of disappointing her family and her kingdom, turning her paranoid and not trusting of people. I think of Rodney and how he found joy and just the courage to ask someone out on a date and to live life to the fullest. I think about Clarissa Von Grin, her cold determination to do well and to break that glass ceiling and become the guild master and not taking everything for granted, taking it with a salt of suspicion but doing right by it. I think about Sky and the agents of Sky and how they, with my help, took on vulnerable individuals and treated them so poorly for their own ill-gotten gains that even in the end their selfishness was to save their own skin and not save their product or me or anything from the hideout. I think of Jonathan and Christopher, two brothers who found me and I set them against each other for one to come triumphant. And then I think of Dr. Kim asking me to regale all of these keepers, asking if what I did was right, because I always had a choice. Even if I didn't feel like I did, I always had a choice. I impacted on these lives so much. But who knows? Maybe one day, someone will come for me, put me back together, and say, Right. Tell me the truth. What do you think of me? What Am I Rolling podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Fiona Howard. This episode's player was Fiona Howard. This episode's RPG was Artifact, a game of legendary items and transient heroes by Jack Harrison of Mousehole Press. You can find out more information about Artifact and other Mousehole Press products on itch.io. 
The theme music was 8-Bit March by Twin Musicon of twinmusicon.org, licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. If you want to find out more about the podcast, check out the website. That's www.wairpodcast.com. Fancy getting in touch? Email the podcast at whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at WAIR underscore podcast for the latest news on upcoming episodes. And remember, adventurers need not apply. <laughs>